right. Welcome to uh, the worship service at Rock Fellowship. We want to welcome everybody. Um, for those who are visiting from, uh, from afar or if you're watching from some place that you're vacationing at spring break, we definitely welcome all of you. Um, I, was, uh, I was telling Pastor Chris, I, I, I thanked him for asking me to speak during spring break when, you know, most everyone is gone. But I, was, I see a lot of people here, um, and it seems like that is the case lately where even during spring break when, like, maybe five years ago, like, there'd be, like, a handful of people here, it seems like our numbers are always pretty consistent. So um, one person who I know is always watching and in tune is Ed Kim. He, <laughs> you guys don't even know this, but when, when we come to practice here on Friday nights, it doesn't matter where Ed is, he could be in Africa, and he'll be like, all right, post the live stream, let me do sound check. And then, like, he'll be, and, like, on Saturdays, if we're having some sort of, like, technical difficulties, it's like, where's Ed? Where's Ed? And we're, like, texting Ed. He's always, like, you know, helping us get things straight. So I know Ed is watching for sure, but uh, definitely we want to welcome and thank everyone who is uh, here today. Um, I thought I would just do a brief introduction since we do have a lot of, like, uh, new members um, of who I am. Um, my family and I, we kind of started attending Rock back in 2008, um, and uh, we originally lived in Salem where I work, and I, I still work there. And about five years ago, we moved here to Portland, and I'm doing that horrendous commute down to Salem for work. But um, uh, otherwise, we've, you know, loved our time here in Oregon, and um, lately, uh, well, most of my time at church is spent um, helping Pastor Jonathan do, you know, kind of whatever he needs my help in and helping with the youth ministry, or uh, you can find me week to week helping with the, uh, the AV, AV booth and the AV team back there. So um, that's just a little bit about myself. Um, and so whenever I'm asked to come up and, and speak, I, uh, I use that opportunity always to somehow plug uh, the youth program. And uh, either I interview some of our volunteers or um, I'll do something just to highlight the youth program. And Today I've uh, made a small video uh, for you to watch, and I want to just kind of maybe uh, tell you a little bit up about the video. I, did, I interviewed two of our volunteers for our small group, and it's our small group leaders. Uh, one is Kevin, and Kevin is the small group leader for our high school boys, and the other is Olivia, and Olivia is a small group leader for our freshman and sophomore high school girls. And uh, so I just uh, wanted to kind of interview them and talk to them about their experience. Um, and then the other two gentlemen that I interview are two uh, young gentlemen who are actually in Korea. Um, one is Baron, and the other one is Hyungyu. And they came to visit us uh, at the beginning of this year, and they, uh, Baron spent about a month here, and Baron is um, one of our Walla Walla nursing students' uh, younger brother. And uh, Hyungyu is actually Yannick's cousin, um, who is one of our high school students, and he came for about two weeks. And so they were kind enough to send in a little video about their experience um, here at Rock and with the youth. And uh, the video is about eight minutes long, and um, we'll go ahead and watch that right now. I volunteer for the youth small groups. Um, initially, it was because I heard that they needed another small group leader, and I was driving Emily to small groups anyway, so I was like, might as well make it my time worth it there. Um, but now I think I do it just to get closer with the youth kids and you know, grow that relationship with them and 
kind of just talking about the highs and lows I think is really awesome. Honestly, it's just to get to know them and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like being a youth small group leader has really affected my life in a way because it gives me a really good purpose, especially moving up to Portland um, in my young adult ages. Uh, I feel like it allows me to get involved in church where a lot of the times young adults kind of fade away from church. So I, I feel like it's just, it's really helped me personally kind of grow in my relationship with God because I can see how strong these youth kids are in their relationship and it makes me want to do the same. And if I'm a leader, then I kind of want to help them grow a relationship as well. So I think it's just a mutual kind of help there. I was honestly so shocked when I heard that just because I feel like I personally didn't, I don't know, I feel like I just was honestly so shocked. Um, I'm grateful that they felt that I kind of influenced them or had some influence in their baptism um, just because I felt like I didn't have that that so much in my youth group. So it was just, I felt so blessed. I've, I think the main thing is I am just so amazed at the youth kids that we have at the church. I feel like they're so on fire for God. And the fact that they come out every single week to small groups really just shows how important church is for them. and. I think that's, that's such a true blessing to see and that they have that community and everything. It's just amazing to see, really. Uh, one, Pastor Jonathan is part of our uh, small groups on Tuesday night and his prayer request was for a small group leader and he kept praying for it. And I don't know, I thought he kept looking at me and felt a little guilty and I do have a lot of time now that Caleb and Casey are pretty much grown up so uh, I took the dive and volunteered to be a youth youth leader. It's been it's been good. Um, I want to set a good example for all, all the youth boys and so it's helped me um, work on myself and on my relationship with God because I want to, like I said, be a good example for the youth boys. It's been really great getting to know different parts of the youth that I, I would have never done before. Um, it's, been, it's been fun guiding them and learning from, from them as well. They're very, very intuitive. Uh, and they do have a yearning to to be a part of church, be a part of community, and to love God. And they and they really do do make an effort to do their best. That's that's something that I learned, and I, I really appreciate from the youth. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, my my goal going into leading the youth was one. You know, a lot of. A lot of good has come through my life, but I've, I've also made a lot of mistakes. And my goal was to try to help them not make as many mistakes as I did. And to 
not, not stray or question too much um, what God has in store for us. Hello, I'm Baron Jung. Some of you might know me. I visited Rock Fellowship about a month from December 31st to February 4th. It was my first time visiting America, and going to the church was one of my favorite things that I did during my trip. Thinking back, the first memory about the church is the New Year's party. I helped making food for the party and got to know a lot of church members. Everyone was really kind to me and encouraged me to come back to America for my future. I couldn't fully understand the sermon that Pastor Chris gave, or all the talkings in the youth group. However, I felt I belonged during the small group and this helped me understand God's love and His plans for me. I'm glad that I had an opportunity to experience what a loving community is. I miss you all and of course the potluck and hope to see you again. Bye! Hello, I'm Yannick's cousin Hyungi. First of all, I don't have a religion. However, after visiting the church with Yannick, it was so, so good that I want to go to the church in Korea, even in Korea, yeah. Why? Because even though I'm not a native speaker of English, so definitely my English must be slow and awkward, but everybody, but every one of the church was tries to understand me and wait for me. So that was so good. Also, when I'm in the church, I could feel everyone is caring for me and makes and that makes me feel so good. While I'm in the church, I went to hiking and tennis court with my friends. Both of them was, both of the activities were unforgettable memory for me. And with these two activities, I felt I'm on healing now. Actually, I was trying really hard to speak with English. So normally I should have been stressed out because I used too much of my brain. <laughs> but I wasn't. I f was so happy and I feel great. That's really weird. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> and I presented on, I presented on weekly highlight report. I don't know what's the correct name. Is it the one that tells about his week, tells about the high on the week and low on the week. Everybody cheered for a high one and everybody emphasized emphasized to a low one it's was the best one of the best memory of my trip to america i think it's a huge luck you that you could join this church's youth program i don't think that not only korean but also american church does not have an adolescent friendly program like church here now I have to finish my video. Thanks for inviting me this, to this beautiful church and thanks for welcoming me and goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye Yannick, Atticus, Ella, Ryan, Caleb, Jonah, Kyla, Kyla, Shinyu, Josh. Bye 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 bye. And I write a lot of script at here.
That wasn't that, wasn't that awesome? That's so powerful. Um, you know, Hyungyu, I mean, he just spent two weeks here. You know, he's not, he's not a Christian, and just two weeks of time, and, and when I saw that video, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, we didn't really do much. We just, like, hung out and had fun, and, and, to, and, and I realized that's like, I think that's what evangelism is, is just hanging out and having fun and, and being nice. And, and now that he wants to seek out a church to go to in Korea, it's like, uh, it just kind of blew me away when I, when I saw that video. But, you know, I, I really wanted to kind of have that opportunity to highlight some of our volunteers, our youth volunteers. I don't know, uh, we definitely couldn't run the program without, you know, Kevin and, and Olivia and you know, many of you uh, sitting out there have, like, put the youth program on your backs over the year and, and have brought us to where we are today. And you have been small group leaders or you have run the whole program. And, and so I definitely, you know, thank, thank all of you um, for, you know, helping us get to where we are um, today. Um, today, though, um, in terms of the message, uh, I really wanted to, well, I thought about who, we sh- who I should really gear this message to and uh, I really wanted to gear this message toward our youth and to our children. Um, and it's, it's a theme that has been playing out over and over and over again in my mind lately. Um, and it's a theme that I've really been reminded of. And I, I, I truly believe that God has put it on my heart um, that it's something that is so foundationally important to a follower of God that I don't think you can even move forward without a clear understanding of this theme and this foundational aspect of, of a follower of God. And it's super simple, and it is the love of God, that love of God for us, that God loves you no matter what. And I know that you've heard it over and over and over again, and it just seems so kind of like, I don't know, blasé or redundant. But I don't think that you could really move forward without really understanding that we are loved by God unconditionally. And I remember telling my kids this when they were growing up, that God loves you whether you're good or whether you're bad, right, unconditionally. And that the love of God for you cannot change. It cannot grow or grow weaker based upon your actions or your inactions, that there is nothing that you can do or not do to change God's love for you. And that is really the, the foundational message that I want to uh, leave with you today, is that God loves you. And there is, there is no place on this planet that you can run to. You cannot run fast enough to outpace God's love because God will always be chasing after you. And he will always be beside you. Whether you feel so alone, at some point in your life, God will be beside you all the time, waiting for you. He will not force you, but he will be waiting right by your side for that moment that you are ready. There are two amazingly um, beautiful depictions of the faithfulness of God and his love in the Old Testament. And, well, they're my, my two favorite. I'm sure there's plenty, of, plenty more. But my two favorite depictions of God's faithfulness and His love in the Old Testament, the first one I actually preached on here about, I don't know, seven years ago. 
I, lo- I tried to find it in, uh, in our iTunes podcast or, or the Spotify podcast, but it only goes back to 2019, so I think it must have been before then. So I'm guessing maybe six or seven years ago. And that sermon was on uh, the covenant between Abraham and, and God. And it's a really like vivid portrayal of, of this this love of God through a sacrifice. You know, God asks Abraham to sacrifice animals and cut them in half and sounds real grotesque, but read it. Read it when you go home. Genesis 15. It's like mind-blowing, right? Um, But that's like one of my favorite. The second one is equally as impressive, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, just briefly, all right? And that one is found in Exodus chapter 21 and um, verses 2 through 6. But before we read those texts, I just want to give you a little backdrop on what this is about. And uh, it really talks about slaves at that time period, all right? And the slaves, if you happen to be a slave that was purchased, uh, most likely you're purchased from uh, a place called debtor's prison. And what debtor's prison is, is let's say, for instance, you, let's say your wife went out to buy, you know, some like, I don't know, some high-fashion uh, sandals, right? Some high-end fashion sandals. And somehow you couldn't, or, or maybe you bought a, you know, fourth-generation abacus or something back then. I don't know. I don't know what they had. You know, equivalent of an iPhone. And you couldn't pay that bill off, right? And uh, you sold all your, you know, sheep and cattle or whatever you s- sold, and you still couldn't pay off that debt. Well, you know what? You ended up in debtor's prison, right? Because you couldn't pay it off. And until you could pay off that debt, you had to stay in debtor's prison. Or until someone came along and said, you know what? I'm going to pay that debt, right? I'll pay that debt, and this person can work for me instead. So someone would come, pay that debt off for those high-end fashion sandals, and then you would work for him for six years, At the end of the sixth year, on the seventh year, you were free to go, right? You're just free. You could could walk away. Now, there was a stipulation, and that stipulation was whatever you came with is what you left with, all right? So if you came to that master's house with five pairs of pants, you left with five pairs of pants. If you came into his service with a wife and a family, you left with a wife and a family. But many times uh, when you came into their service, you would find a wife and you would start a family and you would have a wife and some children at the end of the six years and on the seventh year, the master's like, thank you, you're free to go. And no matter how benevolent and no matter how loving that master is, who in their right mind would want to stay indebted to someone, right, working, right, for them, right? Of course, everyone would want their freedom so that you could go back home to your hometown and be with, you know, your mom, dad, whatever family you had there, your friends. You could, like, start working again and make your own money, start a business, right? Like, everyone would want to be free. But there was a dilemma. What would you do if you got married and you had children The wife and the children were not your possession. They were the master's possession. You could not leave with your family. And so this was the dilemma that you faced. What do you do, right, in that situation? And that is what the verses 
that we're going to read uh, are about. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn to those verses in Genesis chapter 21, verse 2 through 6. And uh, we'll read from the uh, NLT, New Living Translation. Uh, if you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he came, he became your slave, then his wife must be freed with him. If his master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons or daughters, then only the man will be free in the seventh year, right? Only the man. But his wife and children will stay, will still belong to his master. But the slave, right, may declare, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God, and then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. Crazy, right? Crazy. Do you know what an awl is? Do you know what an awl an awl is like a, a sharp tool. I have a little picture of, of, of an awl, but it's like a nail or a sharp tool. It's almost like if you, you know, made a belt and you wanted to put holes in the belt, you get a sharp kind of pointed tool and you get a hammer and you go, and you hammer and you make a, poke a hole in that leather belt. That's what an awl is. And so imagine this, right? So this slave, he's like, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my children. I don't want to leave them. I want to stay with them the rest of my life. And so he would, him and his master would go publicly to the judges, to the judge and in front of people, and they would go to a doorpost, and they would take this all, and they would proclaim for everyone to hear. He says, I want to serve my master, and I want to be with my family for the rest of my life because I love them, right? I love them. And so, this, and so they would carry out the ceremony, right, where they would take this awl and this hammer and this doorpost and put the ear on the doorpost, and they would hammer a hole in there. And so this scar, this hole in his ear would tell everyone publicly that I love my family, and I want to be with my family, and I love my master. He is so good to me, and I will, I will stay with him the rest of my life. Crazy. It's crazy. But you know what is even crazier? That 1,500 years later, another man, another man publicly would be pierced on a post for children and a wife and for you and me because of that, that amazing love, right? That Jesus would would hang on a tree and be nailed to that tree and be pierced, right? Because he says, I love my children. I love you, right? I love my church, my bride, right? So much that I want to show the world that I want to spend eternity with you, with, with all of you, right? And so Jesus was pierced like this slave was pierced 
and holes were put in his hands and his feet because of this amazing love. And it's a love that you can't change. You cannot do anything to change that love, right? You can try to be as good as you want. He is not going to love you more. You can be as bad as you want, and he cannot love you less. You can run as far away as you can from him, right? And he will be right there. I guarantee it. He'll be right there. Now, the closest, um, the closest cousin I have to my age, um, we, when we grew up as young kids, we were, you know, like a, the farthest away you could be from each other. And I lived, I grew up in Michigan and, and Toronto, Canada, and she lived in California. And I remember uh, when I was little, uh, back when I was like, you know, elementary school age, I always used to hear of my cousins who lived in California. And we eventually got to go visit, uh, visit Mina and her aunt. And... Um, I remember uh, as a young kid like that, uh, going to California for the first time, it's like, ooh, California, right? It's like this land of milk and honey or something like, whoa, right? And, uh, and like you drive in there and you see like actual oranges growing on trees, right? It's like the first time I, I've like seen that, right? And the beaches and the sun is just brighter and everything's nicer and and I remember going there, and, and that was the first time, well, one of the first times we ever first met. Um, and uh, I, she was always like kind of the, you know, she was always really cool, living in a cool place. And uh, eventually our family would move from the East Coast to California, to L.A., um, where kind of Mina um, lived. And uh, she went to Glendale Academy and eventually went to USC, where she studied accounting and became an accountant, uh, I think for Ernst & Young and was working, and was just had a successful life. But, you know, when she finished high school, she, she left the church. Um, she walked away from God. And that was, for my aunt, was the biggest hole in her heart to have her, you know, as a single mom who raised her, uh, an only child, that was devastating right? Devastating to her. And that was her lifelong wish that Mina would somehow find God again. Uh, last year, um, my aunt was trying to reach Mina and was calling her, and she wasn't able to get a hold of her. And so she went to her house and found that she had collapsed and she was unconscious on the floor of her house uh, they rushed her to the hospital and put IVs and tubes in and did everything. And one of those tubes perforated her esophagus, and she had this very bad infection and inflammation in her chest. Uh, she was on a life support machine, had a stroke. She had a number of complications. She got gangrene of all her fingers on one hand. They had to amputate all her fingers. Um, and she was, like, very close to death. Uh, miraculously, she started to recover she got off the ventilator, the life support machine. She was able to sit up and talk and have some sort of understanding and, and communicate. She was able to kind of eat, like she had some poor swallowing abilities, but she was she was started to eat again. And she spent the next about three weeks in the hospital um, 
recovering and recuperating. And every day, my aunt would sit at her bedside and just talk and, you know, try to, you know, encourage her. And my aunt would say that, um, she said that she could feel God's love doing something in her heart. And through all of those layers, right, of resistance, during that time period, God was able to peel away all of those, those layers of pain and hardship. And Mina came to a place where she, um, she was ready to embrace God again into her life and, and have him be, become a part of her life again. And she accepted God back into her life and started to pray with her mom. And uh, one day when she was by herself and she was eating, um, she aspirated and she choked on food and went into her airway. And she stopped breathing and she died on July the 8th last year. And I, I would talk with my aunt And she told me that those three weeks where she saw the love of God penetrate into Mina's heart, she said it was like she couldn't even imagine that ever happening. And although her heart was shattered that she had lost her only child, she said it was all worth it. Because Mina came to a place where she discovered once again the love of God, right? It was all worth it. And I will be honest with you, um, there was a time where I, I did not think that it, this was possible. I didn't think that Mina would ever come back to God. And I know a lot of, a lot of other people thought the same. But what I failed to realize is that you know, God had never left Mina, right? He had always been right there, always. Been right there waiting, right? Waiting for that opportunity. And it just so happened that it was in the last three weeks of her life, right? But I realized that God never gives up on us, that He is always chasing us. He is always running after us, right? And I don't care where you are in your life right now, how far you feel from him. You may be a parent worried about your children and where they're at in their relationship with God, but just know that God is chasing after your children, right, even today. You know, you may be so concerned about, you know, like, like I am about my kids, like on the, you know, gaming and, you know, like, oh, they're what? spending too much time on the computer and all this stuff, and you may be consumed by, by the worry and the fear of, like, uh, our, our children. But you know what? God's love is way more powerful than anything in this world, right? God can, God's love can penetrate through anything and win our children back. You know, you may be someone, you may be a youth member right now who is confused and not really understanding 
but I'm telling you that God, God loves you so much. And there will be a time when you will be able to understand that God's love, right, is unconditional for all of us. So I just want to encourage you, right, never to give up. Never give up on God because God's love will always be there and he will always chase us down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you, Father. And although um, our family misses Mina, we know that we will see her again. And Lord, we were amazed at your love where you told us that I will be pierced for you because I want to spend eternity with you. And even through our slavery to sin, and even through our addictions, and even through our pain and suffering, Father, you open up your arms to us and said, I will love you every day, always, into eternity. We thank you, Father, for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray, Father, that we would continue to learn of your love more and more each day. We pray this in your name. Amen.